We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about pop culture from a Jewish perspective and Judaism through the lens of pop culture. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf, and I'm joined as always with my good friend and colleague, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about Disney Plus, the brand new streaming service from the Walt Disney Corporation, which also owns Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars and apparently National Geographic and ESPN and And media, the world. And the world. Uh, we're going to be talking about Disney Plus. We're going to be talking about uh, what it means for the uh, new media landscape that, uh, that, that has uh, emerged over the past several years uh, with uh, streaming services like Disney Plus now, Netflix, Hulu, uh, increasingly HBO is getting in that game, and on and on and on. And we'll be talking about uh, that, but also what it means for Judaism and what it means uh, in religious and spiritual life uh, in America and in the world today, uh, what it uh, can teach us, uh, what uh, what uh, Jewish tradition might be able to uh, teach all of us potentially in this uh, brave new world. And where we want to start this week is uh, Jesse wrote a piece back in 2013 uh, after the close of some of the last blockbuster stores uh, in the country uh, which happened around that time, although we, we realized that there's actually, I think, still one blockbuster store uh, holding on for dear life somewhere in, in Oregon, is it, Jesse? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't know. I, I don't know if it's Oregon or Alaska, um, although there was a blockbuster store famously in uh, Captain Marvel, so I don't know if that was a real one or just a prop made for the movie. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, uh, Jesse wrote a piece back in 2013 uh, after the close of some of the last blockbuster stores, talking about uh, the rise of streaming uh, and uh, this new landscape and uh, and and uh, what uh, the closing of blockbuster, the demise of blockbuster and the rise of streaming um, uh, had to uh, say about what uh, religious life and spirituality uh, looks like in uh, the 21st century. So I wonder, Jesse, could we revisit that piece first and share with us a little bit about what you said then? Sure. Uh... Absolutely, Mike. Uh, apparently, I just checked, there were three Blockbuster stores left, two in Alaska and one in Bend, Oregon. Um, as of 2018, the two in Alaska closed and the one in Bend, Oregon is the only one left in the country. Um, I remember fondly uh, as a kid, uh, as a fanboy, we had our local video store. Uh, it was called Palmer Video. Um, and I'd walk there from my house after school and, you know, you'd rent wh whatever you could find. Uh, and Blockbuster really changed the game, right? It, it not only did it open mm -hmm. up everywhere, but it had a ton of copies uh, on VHS and then eventually even DVD of that new release. And you were guaranteed that it would be in stock or it was free. You didn't have to return it the very next day. Uh, there weren't late fees in the same way. You had a couple of days. You didn't have to rewind it in advance. Uh, Blockbuster really changed the game. But I wrote a piece for Times of Israel um, from Blockbuster to Net Netflix, Lessons in Synagogue Innovation. Um, I wrote it at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, because it was announced after uh, Dish Network bought Blockbuster in 2011 to try to save it. They had a Blockbuster movie channel on Dish Network a satellite, uh, but in November 2013 is when they announced that we're really closing their remaining stores. Uh, and it really got me thinking about this idea of disruptive innovation and what Netflix did that Blockbuster never caught up to. Uh, Netflix, if you remember, was originally just a uh, mail-in service to get your DVDs, 
right? Before there was right. any streaming content, it was I paid a monthly fee and I got the DVDs sent to my home instead of having to go out to the store. Uh, and I paid that monthly fee and I got to watch as many movies as I could. I watched one DVD, mailed it back, got another DVD. That in and of itself was revolutionary. One, there was a convenience factor. I could be lazy. I could stay on my couch and the movies were brought to me. But two, there was lowering the financial barrier uh, because I didn't have to pay per rental in this sort of fee-for-service mentality, but I I paid a small amount and got as much out of it as I could. Uh, that now, from a business perspective, I think Netflix was banking on you know the one person who would have that DVD sitting on their coffee table for months at a time because they're so busy, haven't gotten around to watch it yet. But uh, really, if you if you did it well, you really. Uh, got bang for your buck. I think from a synagogue perspective, we learned a couple things from Netflix. First, it was that. It was that it was inexpensive. Blockbuster required a per rental cost. Netflix monthly membership allows one to rent. And then now, once it launched a live streaming service to live stream movies and television shows as much as one would like. I am guilty that uh, that's part of my winding down every night, right? I get into bed and I have my iPad on my lap and I like to stream something to help me fall asleep. And if there's nothing new on, I'll go back to the West Wing or I'll go back to a Simpsons episode. I'll go back to something. And I was like, oh, I just got to watch one episode of TV. Tell me, go to sleep. And it's really about getting banged for your buck. Um, Netflix really pioneered this idea of allowing one to access content anywhere. You know, I because it was a streaming service, it wasn't just set on my TV. I could watch it on my TVs. I could watch it on my phone. I could watch it on my tablet. I could watch it on my computer. They revolutionized the idea that you could download content uh, temporarily and you could actually even watch it offline. I could take it with me on a plane or on a train or wherever I am. Um, additionally, I think Netflix understood that every viewer is not the same. Right. So full disclosure, when we signed up for Disney Plus, Mike and I went in on it together and we share a Disney Plus subscription uh, and we each have our own avatars. We each have our own profiles. I'm a Iron Man, by the way, is my avatar. Um, I, I'm Kylo Ren for what it's worth. Of course you are. Although my, my kids wanted me to be Jack Skeleton, uh, which I indulged for like half a day and then I changed it. <laughs> um, but I, I think the idea of having separate profiles for all of these streaming services understood that not every viewer is the same. And what Netflix really pioneered was that we embrace each viewer's uniqueness and it comes up with an algorithm for each viewer and tries to decipher content and offer suggested content based on what that viewer has previously watched. And then finally, it changed the game again by introducing original content, right? Some of the best shows uh, and movies that Netflix had put out there were not blockbusters, were not first on NBC, or were not first on AMC. Um, you know, they were shows that Netflix uh, produced and greenlit themselves and was Netflix original content. And really, I mean, if you look at the expansive nature of this original content with the streaming services now, the vast majority of shows that are nominated and also that win Emmys are shows that we find on streaming services. You know, we found that with Amazon Prime, Transparent was winning uh, Best Show for a while, an Emmy for Best Show. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think, is the reigning uh the current uh, holder of that title. Uh, you had Orange is a New Black that won for a while on Netflix. Uh, you have The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu uh, that is up there and during award season. So you have this idea of original content. And I think those were all really lessons for the American synagogue that we need to lower the financial barrier to participation. We need to really focus on the convenience factor that we need to bring Judaism to people. My father really uh, used to teach uh, and continues to teach about this idea of public space Judaism. Uh, we need to understand that we can't just open up the walls of our institutions and say, look how welcoming we are. Come on in. It's a real high barrier of entry for people to come in. We need to go out and bring Jewish experiences to them. 
I just want to. I just want to add. I just want to add for our listeners that uh, Jesse's father is uh, a, an extraordinary uh, and groundbreaking rabbi in many ways, uh, prolific in many ways. Uh, rabbi Kerry Olitsky. Um, ah. Just in case uh, people aren't familiar with uh, with with who Papa is, uh, that's who uh, <laughs> Jesse's father is, and, and an inspiration for not only him, of course, but also for me. Thank you. Um... Yes, definitely an inspiration to me, and I often feel like he's sitting on my shoulder, uh, continuing to to teach me, um, whispering in my ear. Um, but that's you know, his idea when when he ran Big Ten Judaism was this idea of public space Judaism, and it's the idea that we need to not only create multiple entry points, but we need to go outside of the walls of our institutions, um, and we need to create multiple entry points because every Jew is not the same. Um, every Jewish home does not look the same. Every Jewish family does not look the same. And people join synagogues for different reasons. Some see it as a Beit Tefillah, a house of prayer. Some see it as a Beit Midrash, a house of learning. Uh, some see it as a Beit Chesed, a, a house of activism and social action and tzedakah and engagement. And some see it exactly what it is, a Beit Knesset, as we call it in Hebrew, a house of assembly, a social gathering space. And we need to understand that different people are looking for different things. And then finally, I would say we need to see uh, that each synagogue needs to be unique and celebrate its uniqueness. That, Mike, where you are rabbi in Richmond, Virginia, is different than where I am rabbi in South Orange, New Jersey. And I think our communities need to highlight what makes Richmond unique, what makes South Orange and Maplewood in uh, northern New Jersey unique, and allow that to really shape who we are as communities and what we want to be as congregations. Now, I wrote that, you know, end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Uh, Disney Plus has really stepped into this streaming wars and really, I, I believe, changed the game. Uh, and that's only going to continue uh, in May. Uh, HBO Max is going to be launched by Warner Media. Um, you have Apple TV Plus which is Apple's streaming service, which just launched. And that's, again, in addition to uh, CBS has its own streaming service, all these streaming services, and really has redefined the way we watch movies and redefined the way we watch TV. Right. So I want to so ask you about that. I want to probe that a little bit deeper, because when you wrote the piece in, in 2013, uh, beginning of 2014, uh, really Netflix was ascendant. Uh, dominant in in that space, you really only had uh, in the you know in the, in the streaming uh, service, you really only had uh, Hulu uh, as its competition. Um, I, I, I'm not positive, uh, but uh, but I'm pretty sure it was after you wrote that piece that uh, HBO started getting into the streaming game with un with uncoupling uh, its HBO service with uh, with um, uh, with cable TV packages so that you could get uh, HBO now. You could just get HBO content. Uh, you could also have HBO Go. If you had uh, a cable package that had HBO, you could uh, get HBO uh, shows streaming by, by itself. Um, but I'm pretty sure that that was after you wrote your piece. So the, the landscape yes. had, had already changed in the years uh, since you wrote that piece. Uh, and, and of course, as you're saying, you know, the landscape is changing even more right now with, with Disney+, Plus, Apple+, Plus, uh, HBO Max. Uh, they're going to have to come up with some more clever names for these streaming services besides uh, just adding pluses and maxes after things. But nevertheless, uh, the, you know, um, the, the landscape is, is changing. The competition is changing. Uh, the, the way we consume media has changed and is obviously shifting, continuing to shift in this landscape. So I wonder if, if you wrote that piece today, what would you say differently? And what might you say is, uh, are, are insights that would, that, that you would carry over? You know, it's interesting. I'm somebody who, since I wrote that piece, uh, only in the past uh, year and a half or so, I cut the cord and I got rid of cable. Um, but I am uh, part of a family who loves watching live TV. Right. Part of my daily ritual is I want to watch the evening news as a big sports fan. I want to watch live sporting events. So while I quote unquote cut the cable, I still have uh, YouTube TV, which is um, Google's version of, you know, their streaming service. Uh, but what it really is, it's streaming live TV. A and so that's another added element 
I think in some ways, if you want your own content and you want all the content of cable when you cut the cord, but you have this streaming service and this streaming service and this app and this app, you end up bundling it all together if you want the exact same experience as cable. But as each streaming service has launched, what we've realized is that it's quite possible for people to unbundle their viewing and the streaming of movies and TVs and only watch what they want to watch. Um, each streaming service has become a lot more specific. I, you know, you see this with Disney plus, especially you used to be able to watch a ton of Disney movies, uh, the Marvel movies on Netflix by the end of 2020, not a single one of them will be on Netflix anymore. Once the contracts end and Disney plus will have full control over it. Uh, if you are a Disney file, right? If you, I'm a huge Marvel fanboy. If you love those, the, the Marvel cinematic universe movies, if you love the star Wars movies and you want to stream them, Disney plus will eventually be the only place for that. And so what ends up happening is, well, we're unbundling our options for specific needs. You have to go to different places. Right. So what that basically means, you know, in, in a sense is that uh, maybe unwittingly um, uh, the consumer is going to have to rebundle uh, to get the, to, you know, unless unless the consumer is, you know, very, you know, exclusively a Disney file. Right. Um, you know, they, they only want to watch uh, princess movies and uh, and and, uh, and and superhero stories. Right. Um, that uh, that if they only want that, then they only have to get a Disney plus subscription, which is pretty cheap right now, especially considering the content that you get for it. But inevitably like Netflix, uh, I assume that the price is going to go up over time. Uh, uh, but if you're like probably most people who, uh, you know, uh, enjoy content, uh, on other platforms and from other providers, um, it means that you're going to need a Disney plus subscription and a Netflix subscription and maybe a Hulu subscription. You know, I was just thinking, I, I just, uh, gotten rid of Hulu because we also got uh, YouTube TV, which you know kind of scratched the same itch for us. Uh, we you know also like we don't necessarily care about live TV per se, but but want the more contemporary shows. Don't want to have to wait for them to come out on Netflix, and Hulu was doing that for us. Uh, but um, uh, so we got YouTube TV instead. But you know, but then I was talking last night with some friends, and I was I was saying, you know, I really wish I could revisit. Uh, the entire run of the Golden Girls, and I and I googled, you know, where where can I watch the Golden Girls now? And as luck would have it, Hulu is the streaming service where you can get Golden Girls now, unless you want to uh, pay per episode for it. Uh, and um, uh, hey, by the way, uh, no hate for for the Golden Girls. Uh, stay out of my mentions uh, if you uh, if if you have a problem with Golden Girls, um, uh, I'm 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 coming at you. So. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, so again, so, you, you know, I thought I thought I was out and then they pulled me back in, you know, so I got to decide now, do I want to watch Golden Girls enough to buy an, uh, a Hulu subscription? Uh, so, again, you know, we're, we're in this uh, context where navigating the landscape means, uh, in some sense, rebundling where before, you know, I thought, you know, basically all the content that I could possibly want, unless I wanted live TV, I could get with a Netflix subscription. Right. But uh, but but now that's that's going to be increasingly no longer the case. Uh, and it may be may very well be that, you know, in, in five, 10 years time, Netflix is going to be 90 percent original Netflix content um, because all of the other media providers um, are going to have their own streaming services. And if I want to watch anything that's not produced by Netflix, um, I'm going to have to have, you know, all those other subscriptions. Well, I have to tell you, one of the things I was most excited about uh, for Disney Plus was their original content, right? I'm a big Star Wars fan, and so I was looking forward to launch day so I could watch the first episode of The Mandalorian. Um, spoiler alert ahead, Baby Yoda is awesome and <laughs> adorable. Um, but I, I want I definitely want a pet Baby Yoda. <laughs> but I, I also, you know, am looking to the future, and as a big Marvel fanboy, I know that there are MCU Disney Plus series coming. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming out next year. WandaVision is coming out. Um, Loki, Loki. Is, getting, mm. is getting his own series on Disney Plus. Hawkeye is getting his own series. She-Hulk, Moon Knights, 
Miss um, Marvel. It, the future of that, as much as Disney controls the world, the future of that in some ways will be original content as well. And if you want that original content, that's the only way to 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 get it. I mean, Disney Plus, although their site crashed on launch day uh, several times uh, because they weren't really prepared for the number of users, you can't totally blame them. Healthcare.gov also crashed uh, when Obamacare was put in place. Uh, but within the first 24 hours, Disney Plus said they had 10 million subscribers. Netflix, which has a ton of subscribers, uh, over 100 million subscribers, uh, only had 10 million subscribers within the past two years. Um, so part of it is, you know, does something get stale and people are excited about something new? I did not realize that I even wanted some of the original content that was on Disney Plus until I came across it, uh, right? There's a show, Encore, with with uh, Kirsten Bell about reuniting casts of different high school musical theater troops 20 years later to put on a performance of that production again. Or the show, High School Musical the musical, the series, which is ridiculous <laughs> and amazing at the same time, right? that, that these are shows that I wouldn't have got Disney Plus for, but now that I have Disney Plus, I'm loving them. And so sometimes until we get that streaming service, we don't realize that we love that original content. Although I'm, I, I'm not a, such a Hulu fan, I have to say, the Handmaid's Tale is the only reason that I subscribe to Hulu and I subscribe to it when the new season comes out. And after the new season's over, I cancel my subscription because that's the only reason I'm on Hulu. So that's one of the ways you wrestle with this original content on right. different streaming services as well. So we're having we're having a lot of true confessions here from uh, from <laughs> from both me and Jesse. Uh, and here's another one. And I'll say it. I said it before and I'll say it again. Kristen Bell is a national treasure. Uh, and, uh, and don't forget Jesse about, uh, Forky asks a question. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yes, um, great. A, 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 <laughs> amazing. Uh, Forky being, uh, the, uh, the incredible toy story character, uh, voiced by, uh, Tony Hale, uh, from Arrested Development, uh, and Veep. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great original content, but, it, but it begs me, it begs the question for me about, um, about religious life, right? About, about Judaism. I think there's, there's kind of two pieces to it. You know, the first is. Um, there is, I think, a limit to, um, you know, especially, I don't, I don't know if it's true in your context, Jesse, in, in South Orange, but, uh, but, but in Richmond, where it's a, you know, relatively small Jewish community, um, with, with not a lot of Jewish infrastructure, it means that, you know, there, there's more pressure on some sense for, uh, synagogues to be bigger tents, right, to be more like blockbusters and be all, more things to more people. Uh, because we don't have the critical mass to um, uh, to you know to to target to tastes uh, as much. You know the, the Orthodox congregation, just as an example, um, has a pretty pretty big tent for an Orthodox congregation. You know, um, even among people who who self-identify as Orthodox, you have people who you know who would uh, generally speaking more gravitate to uh, Haredi communities, uh, ultra Orthodox communities and people who are, are much more modern Orthodox in their sensibilities. And they have to kind of navigate, uh, that, uh, that, that tension. And if, the, and if, you know, someone wanted to create a Haredi synagogue in Richmond, you know, maybe it would have 20 families, right? So, so that, <clears throat> and, you know, maybe they should do that. And those 20 families might be more happy, but, but they have to navigate that tension. So I, I suspect it's, it's, you know, especially, outside of major Jewish metropolises, um, it's, it's harder to tailor, uh, to, it's harder for, for legacy institutions, at least, to, to tailor to taste. So I wonder about that pressure. And then also, you know, I, I, I wonder how much, quote unquote, original content uh, any given Jewish institution can, can provide in a meaningful way such that it can, uh, you know, attract a significant enough segment of the marketplace, right? So that's, that's both you know, um, uh, how it carves out market share, right? And, uh, and also like, um, what is, you know, thoroughly unique um, that, uh, that, that each given Jewish institution, Jewish approach um, can, can offer, right? Like, you know, what is, um, you know, what is the Jewish world's Disney Plus that has, you know, not only, 
you know, all of the incredible traditional content that you come to expect from Disney, but also the original content that's going to drive uh, new participation, right? And tailored participation to, to particular tastes. It's a, it's a really, I think, I, I wonder how much the model translates. You know, it's a good question, Mike. I think part of it, part of your question is about demographics. And we have very little control over demographic trends. We can only adapt and respond to them. I think you are correct that um, Richmond, Virginia is very different than where I am in uh, what we call Greater Metro West New Jersey. The uh, Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West New Jersey is the largest non-urban federation in the country. Right? So this part of New Jersey uh, is really the largest non-city Jewish community. Uh, and what that means is not that there are lots of large synagogues, there are, but what that means is that there are just lots of synagogues. Uh, every right. two miles, you have another synagogue. And I think often the misconception uh, among Jews is that, oh, I had this experience at that synagogue that was Orthodox or Reform or Conservative or Reconstructionist. So I'm going to go to this other synagogue of the same movement or denomination and have that same experience. What I'm suggesting is that... Uh, we have an opportunity and an obligation to really be unique. What this division of streaming services shows is that, listen, I, I'm not asking you to pay $6.99 a month for you to watch Orange is the New Black, right? I'm asking you to pay $6.99 a month to watch The Mandalorian. Uh, and if that's your cup of tea, then you're going to pay for Disney. Now, Disney is in a unique situation in that really it's too big to fail. Not only is it price point incredible and lower than Netflix, um, but because of its history and because it bought Fox and because it bought Lucas Films and because it bought Marvel, um, right? It, it really does in some ways have something for everyone. It has Pixar movies and old Disney movies. It has 30 seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, so it really is able to meet the needs of every demographic, I believe. But each synagogue isn't able to do that. Um, depending on the size of the synagogue and the size of your budget and the size of your professional staff and your lay leadership, you may not be able to do that. But I do think, I think there was a problem in the conservative movement specifically for a long time. You know, Mike and I are both rabbis affiliated with the rabbinical assembly, the um, rabbinic group of the conservative movement. And I think the problem in the conservative movement for a long time, because it tried to identify as centrist, uh, it hesitated in taking a stand for things, right? It wanted to be accepted by all and wanted to be this big umbrella where everybody felt welcome. Uh, so it avoided standing for this issue or that issue, uh, either Jewishly or in the secular world or otherwise. Uh, I think what the streaming services show us, and I think in an area like where I live, where there are lots of synagogues, what we're able to do is say, I don't need to be everything for everyone. We want to be a big tent and we want to make sure everybody always feels welcome, but we can certainly take a stance on issues and say, this is what our Judaism teaches us. And this is how we interpret Torah. And this is what we as a community stand for. If that's not for you, then that's okay. Check out this other streaming service, which is the same in theory, the same Torah, but you're just experiencing it differently. When, Blockbuster went out of business and Netflix became the way people access uh, movie rentals and watching television shows uh, at their leisure. The content was the same. It's just the means at one connected to that content was different. The Torah is still the core of each of these institutions. The way we um, spread that Torah, the way we teach that Torah and the way we come to understand that Torah may be different for each of us. Well, right, but I think that you know what you're what you know what is, what's also true in in the landscape, and this is this is certain this is also a, a trend in in religious life, not only Jewish religious life, but uh, religious life in America in, in general over the last half century uh, is you know the decline of denominational affiliation, you know where where uh, the denominational labels and um, and you know brand loyalty in in, in a sense. Um, are are less relevant for people. So what they're what they're looking for is the the you know the 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 content itself, right, and not the packaging of the content, like like you're saying. Um, but although the Torah is different, right? So that, but it means that you know, and this is true. I could say it of myself, but I could certainly say it of my congregants that like 
there there are things that we do, ways that we daven, uh, pray, um, uh, Torah that we teach, programs that we have that are that are meaningful and 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 uh, and, and interesting and relevant um, to members of our congregation. But there are also, you know, uh, uh, maybe it's a matter of, you know, the mood of the day, or maybe it's just a matter of, you know, spiritual appetite, whatever it is, right? There are things that other congregations, other institutions are offering um, that, that scratch uh, spiritual itches for them. Uh, but, you know, unlike streaming, right? I mean, you can use the analogy of streaming to a certain degree, right? You can say like, okay, you know, I really like Disney content. And, and I also really like Netflix content and, you know, I happen to have, you know, 20 bucks a month to spare and I can, and I can uh, do both. Um, we're talking about um, a, a, a relatively much more expensive uh, proposition when you talk about, uh, when you talk about Jewish life, right? So, um, so let's say, you know, I'm, I, I find some of what the conservative synagogue is doing, you know, really compelling uh, and sometimes I want to participate in that. And sometimes I find the, you know, what's happening at Chabad or the Reform Synagogue or something like that really compelling. Sometimes I want to participate in that. Um, if I wanted to feel like I was making a contribution and able to, uh, um, you know, pay for the services that I'm receiving at, at both of those institutions, for most people, um, that would be, um, uh, you know, financially impossible, right? You know, we're talking about uh, a, a cost of belonging that is significantly higher than um, than than you know than streaming services, uh, you know, such that many people can't even afford to uh, to, to quote unquote belong to one institution, right? That's what you're saying before, Jesse, about um, the you know the lower the financial barrier um, of involvement in Jewish life, right? Um, that's even true just of participating in one. All the more so if you want to participate in in many, um, and so. Um, and, and what that also means, you know, what, what it also means for streaming, too, is that, you know, because there's pressure, um, in, in a sense, to be more tailored to our, our tastes, um, it means that uh, there's, you know, it, it exacerbates a, a larger trend of people uh, n not having spaces anymore where we're coming together across lines of difference, right? So this is definitely true when it comes to uh, the, the trend for people to um, turn more to streaming services uh, to, to get their uh, movie content uh, than the traditional Cineplex, you know, where, um, and even before that, before there were Cineplexes, right, the, where you had theaters that only showed, you know, had two screens, right? And uh, the, there wasn't nearly as much uh, content coming out from the major studios in, in the first place, where people were basically watching all the same movies and, you know, they had three TV channels. They were watching all the same. They were, they were broadcast networks, right? They were being consumed by the public broadly, even if they were being consumed privately in people's homes. But everybody was watching the same news and everybody was watching the same, like, three TV shows that were on. Um, so the, you have these common experiences uh, and people coming together across lines of difference as people more and more uh, are, you know, not going to movie theaters and waiting for the movies to come on Netflix or e increasingly the movies are just coming to Netflix uh, or, or Hulu or whatever the other uh, or Amazon, right. Uh, um, as the case may be um, you're, you're having less and less people um, having opportunities to, um, uh, to, to have diverse experiences. You know, in a way that may be true that we're, we're having uh, giving people opportunity to have uh, fewer diverse experiences I, I, I want to step back from that for a second, Mike. I agree yeah, with sure. what you're saying about the financial barrier to participation in the Jewish community. That is very real. Um, that is something that um, I think we all acknowledge. And yet, every synagogue, every uh, Jewish nonprofit is constantly struggling because membership dues and membership costs only cover a small fraction of the the expenses. Um, right. And so it's this balancing act and this challenge when you are a nonprofit institution uh, that you're not making money anywhere. So you're relying on those costs. And we also we don't turn people away. Right. We want people to be included in community. I think we need to turn back to this idea of disruptive innovation. Right. The business theory of disruptive innovation. 
And the idea that you're creating a new market by providing a different set of values, which ultimately, although that's not your intention, but ultimately what it ends up doing is overtakes the existing market. Um, right. The, the greatest example of that is when the Ford Model T uh, displaced uh, horse and buggies, carriages. I, I think synagogues are hesitant to change often because some of the most dedicated lay leaders in Jewish institutions are content with how things are and they themselves right. are hesitant to change. It's right. are we it's a question of are we meeting the needs of those who are a part of the institution? Are we doing inreach or are we doing outreach to the vast majority of American Jews which for whatever reason, choose to not currently be affiliated with synagogues because we're, you know, that's not on them. That's on us as rabbis. That's on us as Jewish professionals that we need to be doing something more and something better to meet their needs. Or can we create a way to meet everybody's needs? Now, when you have more resources, you have a larger professional staff, you have a more diverse demographic, I think you can. When you have a library like Disney Plus, um, you can have The Simpsons and you can have um, Doc McStuffins and you can have Frozen and you can also have, you know, the Avengers movies. Um, not everybody and every Jewish institution can do that and I understand that, um, but I think we may be making the mistake when we're saying that we are trying to be everything for everybody. That may not be possible as institutions, which I totally understand the financial barrier, but we ourselves struggle financially to meet the needs of the populations that we already serve. That's the reality of nonprofits. Right. I mean, it, you, you raise a, a couple of like really, I think important and interesting points there. I mean, the first is, uh, you know, we're, um, given the given the uh, cost of admission, oftentimes in in Jewish life, um, there's already a segment of the population that 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 is left out, right? So um, that's that's really important to hold in mind. The other is, you know, and this is where you know I, I struggle in in a way with the analogy between you know the rise of streaming and um, and and religious life, at least from where I sit in it, you know, is that you know Netflix had the uh, capability to, uh, to to innovate and grow in this moment because um, the, uh, the the product it was selling uh, uh, got cheaper and more transmittable, right? You know, so uh, DVDs were way cheaper than uh, than than video cassettes. Uh, streaming, um, uh, you know, you obviously had to pay money for the licenses and things like that. So it was so you had you know front end expenses. Um, but, um, uh, but you could, you know, with streaming, you know, you, you, it was basically infinite, uh, how often, uh, you could, you could sell that same product. Right. So, um, you know, so, uh, Jewish institutions, I think that, you know, the, the cost of production, the, the, the product itself hasn't gotten cheaper in, in religious life. Uh, I mean, in some sense, obviously the, the product is free in religious life, right? Spirituality doesn't cost anything. Torah doesn't cost anything. Uh, uh, you know, uh, prayer doesn't cost anything, uh, but you know, um, if you want to, you know, have a, you know, well-trained teacher of Torah, uh, uh share with you, uh, insights, uh, and, and unpack those, uh, texts or help you unpack those texts, lead you in a journey of unpacking those texts or, uh, have a, you know, uh, have somebody who's, who's, a, a, a master of, of Jewish music and spirituality leads you in worship like like uh, like cantors are trained to be you want to have comfortable seats to sit in in an air-conditioned room uh in a, in a you know a, a pretty space that's conducive to, to spiritual expression right all those things cost money are arguably they're more expensive today than they were um a generation ago right so it's it, it's a um that actually has changed in the you know marketplace of, of spirituality in a way in, in the opposite direction, uh, then it's uh, changed in the marketplace for 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 entertainment. Um, I had another thought, but I lost it, so I'm going to regroup and hear what you have to say about that, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I think the reality of inflation, right, is that 
everything's more expensive than it was a generation ago. Um, I, I was trying to see if I could find actual the subscription costs um, because right Netflix subscriptions ha- has has gone has has increased right um, so that even that which we think is cheap and it was cheaper than what it was has increased over time um right if you look at january of this year january 15th 2019 it raised its prices for new signups by 13 to 18% it was the largest increase among all the streaming plans uh in the united states um and it hiked its prices in the U.S. a handful of times since it introduced its streaming plan in November 2010. This is according to the website QZ.com. Um, right for for example, right. It's, right. So it's so it's so it's still listen. I mean, it, comparatively to Jewish life, it's still cheap to have a Netflix subscription. But that but that shows you. I mean, I don't know exactly. You know, Netflix kind of notoriously uh, uh, doesn't release all of its numbers, uh, but uh, I don't know if what Netflix is doing there is increasing its profit margins or it's responding to um, the reality of the expense of production. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a response to the reality of the expense of production because as Disney pulls its content, there's greater pressure on Netflix to drive uh, customers to its platform with, with its original, original content. content, which is more expensive Correct. to produce, presumably, than buying the license to the Marvel movies. Right, which costs, you know, each Marvel movie costs, you know, whatever it is, uh, $200 million to make. Um, my guess is it didn't cost Netflix that much money to, um, to, to get the license to stream it. No, I, I think that's true. There are ways that I can access Judaism for free, right? I'm right. sure this is the case of your synagogue. It's the case of my synagogue. Somebody wants to come every Shabbat to Shabbat services and don't want to be a member, we're never going to turn them away, right? They are right. they're a part of our Shabbat community and they're going to be present um, and um, they are always welcome and they connect. But I think they connect at, at a different level. I think what you said is fair. If they want high quality content, if they want to dig deep in our history, if they want to really build community, part of that building community is about connecting with community. You know, one of the things that some institutions do better than others is how they deal with finances. Um, My grandfather uh, is a very dedicated lay leader his whole life in in his reform synagogue. And he uh, owned, he was the president of a home improvement company in uh, suburban D.C. in Virginia. And one day his administrative assistant um, called him to tell him that uh, his rabbi was there to see him. In 30 years, remember this reformed synagogue, his rabbi never went to see him. Uh, and so he thought something was wrong. He thought something happened to my grandmother, something happened to a family member. In walks in, this man with a long beard and payas, clearly not his rabbi. He was a new Chabad rabbi in town. And, you know, he saw my grandfather's last name and had a hunch he was Jewish and just wanted to introduce himself and say hello and bring him a halot for Shabbat. And then started inviting him to Shabbat dinner and started giving him mishloch manot on Purim. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a couple years down the road, he said, hey, we're building a new Chabad house. Can you help us build it? And my grandfather, no charge, donated the windows and the siding. So, wow. it, so it's a different idea of financial contribution. Um, listen, you, when we both signed up for Disney Plus. First month was free. When I signed up for uh, YouTube TV, first, first month was first, free. First week. <laughs> first week. Well, wait, if you're yeah. a Verizon customer, you get a right. year of Disney Plus free, apparently. Um, so all, all I'm saying is that I understand that finances are a barrier to participation in the Jewish community. That's a real challenge. And <clears throat> all we end up doing if we don't lower that financial barrier is we just serve the committed core and we're not meeting those on the periphery. Um, but at the same time, I don't think finances are, are the only issue. People aren't signing up for Netflix or they're not signing up for um, Disney Plus because it's six ninety nine instead of whatever Netflix is, eight ninety nine or nine ninety nine right. a month. They're signing up to Disney Plus because it's offering something different, something that they feel like they are missing. And the American synagogue, um, although 
it's the same Torah would be wise to really think about um, how can we tap into that? How can we serve um, those who feel like there's something missing in their life? This generation, there was a study, I can't remember where the study was. It may have been the Nathan Cummings Foundation, but it said that, well, the millennial generation is certainly uh, more skeptical of organized religion than their parents' generation. They identify as more spiritual than their parents' generation. Mm, right. And so I think they're looking for something real. I think Jews are overall, I think human beings are looking for connection to God and looking for connection to spirituality. It's just, I think what's satisfied previous generations doesn't necessarily satisfy people today. It doesn't necessarily satisfy you and I. That's why we believe in the idea of uh, evolving tradition and evolving halakhic process. That's why we understand that the way a synagogue looks now is not the way a synagogue looked a generation ago or even a decade ago. Right. So I, I think that there's a, a few kind of threads there that, that I uh, want to pull out and, and also from some, some of uh, what, what we've talked about uh, previously in this conversation, you know, the first is I, I remembered uh, what I was uh, going to share before I, I blinked, um, which is that, you know, an, an additional reason um, why uh, legacy institutions are, are, are reluctant to change um, is because uh, the, um, the, the perception that the, uh, that the, that the risks of innovation um, are substantial and the margin for error is, is small. Right. So, um, so you, I can, you know, I, I, I can, I can point to, I don't want to you know, name names uh, too much, but I can point to, you know, many colleagues and experiences that I've, that I've had where, you know, wanted to like try a pretty significant innovation and it met with, uh, with, with a tremendous amount of resistance in its inception stage. Um, uh, not necessarily because people liked things the way they were, but because they were afraid to, uh, of what might happen if we tried to do something differently and it didn't work out. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I suspect that, um, that, you know, certainly, um, it, that's one of the, um, that's one of the ingredients in the recipe of, of, of blockbusters failure. Um, but, um, but I, but I wonder if, you know, a company like, like Disney, um, uh, might be, you know, more open to innovation, um, because they have a greater margin for error, right? Like it would not you know, you mentioned that you know Disney being too big to fail. Like, I, like if 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 Disney Plus was a total crash and burn, um, you know, it, it would probably set Disney back, but it wouldn't destroy them. Uh, right. And, and Mike, also, it, yeah. Can I like if I can make a sports analogy for a second? Right. I'm yeah. a Baltimore Orioles fan. Um, if the if the I know. Uh, I, I I appreciate the <laughs> the love and support. Right. When the Orioles <laughs> sign. Uh, a free agent and end up with a bad contract like Ubaldo Jimenez or signing Chris Davis to a terrible, abysmal extension. It hurts the team financially for a long time because they don't have the means to do other things. When the New York Yankees uh, make a bad deal, they just eat the costs because they have the money uh, and the revenue to make additional moves, right? So I agree with you. I think Bob Eager has some really deep pockets. And while Disney Plus is a gamble, uh, even if it fails, it doesn't mean the same thing as um, as other startups trying something. Right. right. It's also, you know, in, in, as I was saying that, I, I realized that in, in a sense, you know, Disney Plus is an innovation and therefore a risk for Disney, but it's also not a major one in, in two respects. One is that Disney knows how popular and ubiquitous its content is, right? And, and so having the, an, an ability for the consumer to have basically unlimited access to that content, you know, is, um, is probably pretty well researched just kind of on an obvious, like it's just obvious that, that people would want it, right? And the other is, you know, they're, they're not adopting a totally new business model, right? Netflix was the innovation, was, was the innovator, right? Disney um, is basically copying the Netflix playbook in a sense, right? With, with, uh, with, with uh, uh, its rich content. Um, and so, you know, so in the, in the religious landscape, you know, I, I, I wonder what it would look like if, uh, if Jewish institutions and, and, and Jewish leaders 
we're confident enough in the content that we have, right, to be able to take the risks that we need to take um, in order to uh, uh, engage more people with with that content. And I think that um, a lot of times, and this is maybe <clears throat> in a way, you know, one of the successes of, of Chabad, I think Chabad uh, is, you know, uh, is very confident uh, about its content, right? Um, it, it knows that, uh, that, that not only its Torah, but Torah um, has meaning and relevance to, to people's life. Um, if you just bring it to them in a, in, in a package that they can, um, that they can, uh, th that's attractive and in a way that's convenient, right? And, and through relationships, as you described before. So I think that that's, um, that, that's an important lesson to, for, for Jewish institutions to, to take to heart is, um, to, uh, is, is to really uh, understand the, 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 the richness and, and relevance um, and attractiveness of, of what we actually have to offer um, and think of more opportunities for how we can uh, get that to, uh, into the hands of people um, in, in ways that are more meaningful and relevant to their lives. And I think that, you know, the, the additional piece of this, you know, and, and maybe this is exacerbated by the, by the streaming wars. Like I, you know, I can see for myself, like, you know, I, I don't really have time to do all that much else because, uh, because I, because I work, I parent, and then I have all these shows to catch up on. Uh, so <laughs> there's, so people have, um, uh, people just, and this isn't only obviously because of streaming, but people have, um, more, uh, pressures on on their time, more demands for their attention uh, today than than they did a generation ago. Um, I think Jewish institutions have been slow to realize uh, that reality and to accommodate that reality. Um, I, I mean, I can say it. I can give a mea culpa for my own institution and my own rabbinate for that. Um, you know, some of that is limited by our resources and, and among them is time, um, uh, for my, you know, for myself and, and my own professional life. Uh, so, you know, how to, how to, how to actually, uh, uh meet people where they are is, is constricted by those realities, but it's still a, a an important consideration. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the final piece of it though, is, um, is that what, what I think the streaming wars, uh, show, and are, um, and are, you know, per perpetuating and, and maybe in some ways increasing is, um, is, is our tendency um, away from public consumption um, and more toward private consumption. I think that that's borne out in spiritual life too, right? People disaffiliate from institutions or, or if they affiliate, don't attend um, institutions, they don't go to public worship, uh, but, um, but, they, but they do. In, in pretty large numbers, uh, do private uh, household, family, religious celebrations, life cycle celebrations. Um, I think that there is, uh, th there's, there's both a lesson there for Jewish institutions to understand how people are, are, are relating to the content. Um, uh, and also I think uh, in, in some sense, a, a trend that is worth having some degree of religious pushback to, because I think that um, there's something powerful and, and, and beautiful and meaningful, um, and in some ways really time-tested um, about, uh, about those, you know, public spiritual experiences. I can speak, you know, I, I can't speak for, you know, my like Protestant and Catholic or, or Muslim uh, friends, but I can, I can say this, you know, you kind of authentically in my own Jewish experience that, that gathering in community for worship, uh, participating in the life of, of, of community, uh, even in the mundane uh, things like committee meetings, uh, uh, having to navigate uh, the demands of, uh, of, of, uh, of a commanding tradition, uh, which at least my conception of Judaism uh, in some sense is, right? That, um, you know, that, uh, that, that, that we're part of a, of a tradition that, um, that, that says that there is, you know, meaning to engaging with, you know, liturgy that you don't, all agree with all the time, right? And that um, that I'm going to participate in a ritual or in a religious act that may not be what I want to do in that particular moment, but nevertheless is what I'm called to be doing in that moment. I'm going to, you know, worship in community, even though I would rather be sitting on my, you know, sitting at home in my pajamas. Um, uh, and and I, I, I'm going to go learn 
with a population people whose opinions I might not always agree with or, or build community with people whose opinions I might not always agree with. So I think that there's a, there's a, a trend line in, that's represented by the streaming wars that I think as we also strive to navigate the new landscape, it's also, I think, worth thinking about the ways in which we are called to be countercultural in this moment. I think uh, that is all true. Um, however, I, I wanted to focus on um, and really end on, on this point uh, that you made that I don't want us to um, overlook is that I think the reason why synagogues, the reason why Jewish institutions aren't willing to be innovative, aren't willing to be disruptively innovative, mm-hmm. um, is because of a fear of failure. I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. I think that's true in most cases. We think something works because at one point in time it worked um, and we're nervous about trying something new. Uh, sometimes you just have to throw a lot of things up against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, and that means that you may, quote unquote, be failing uh, a lot, but that one success is a lot more meaningful. But I, I think those who have fear of failure and not that I, I want any Jewish community to fail, but I think those who have fear of failure uh, end up being the ones who fail because they aren't mm-hmm. willing to respond to the changing needs of community. Um, that's what happened to Blockbuster, as you said. Blockbuster finally launched right a, a mail direct-to-home rental service they finally tried to launch their version of a streaming service, but it was too little too late. Right. Nobody cared about uh, Blockbuster anymore. Right. So, I, you know, it, it reminds me of um, uh, what uh, Billy Bean says in, in Moneyball. Uh, I, I didn't read the book, but and I don't know if Billy Bean actually said this, but Brad Pitt's character says this Moneyball, adapt or die. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, the, the business landscape, is uh, littered with uh, with with um, organizations, companies that, uh, that that didn't adapt and therefore died, and 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 religious life is too. There's something else that uh, my my teacher Rabbi Irwin Kula says, uh, which is uh, that uh, every tradition is just an innovation that made it right. So everything that you love in Jewish life, and you know, if you're listening to this, you know, and you're a Presbyterian, right, or a Baptist, or a Catholic, right. Like all of those religious traditions that you love and cherish um, were at some point um, a, uh, a, a trial, right? We're, we're at some sure. point an innovation that resonated with people and was meaningful for people. And, you know, now there are things that we can't imagine living our life without, right? I was, uh, we were talking about this for the high holidays and uh, my cantor and I were, were working on, you know, Kol Nidre and we were studying about it and, you know, and, and, the, you know, the truth is Kol Nidre, um, was a was an innovation of the uh, of the Middle Ages, uh, and you know rabbis fought against it. The melody that we use for Kol Nidre um, is is old, but uh, comparatively old uh, for Jewish traditions, but is not ancient. Um, and, and nevertheless, if you you know if if we thought to get rid of Kol Nidre or uh, change the melody um, that, uh, that that Jewish communities have come to. Uh, to to use pretty ubiquitously, um, there would be a revolution on our hands among our congregation, right? Because Kol Nidre is just a number, uh, one of almost countless examples of an innovation that made it. And now we uh, say, you know, Judaism couldn't be Judaism without that thing. Right. I like that. An innovation that made it. Uh, I am confident that Disney Plus will be that. And I hope that... um, uh, Many Jewish institutions, synagogues, Jewish communities will take a chance and be that as well. Amen. Can, can I ask you, um, before we wrap up, what is your favorite content thus far on Disney Plus? Uh, original or, or legacy? Both. <laughs> uh, man, that's hard. Um, I... Uh, in terms of original, um, I'm really liking the documentary on uh, on Disneyland and oh, the uh, and the Imagineers. Story. Yeah, it's so I love good. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all I'll say for original. How about you? 
Um, I, I'm really loving the Marvel Hero Project, where they're highlighting on um, you know different kids uh, in their lives who are trying to be heroes in this world um, and are trying to inspire others. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'll have to check it out. Uh, in terms of legacy content, there's there's too much to name. I'll say I'll say you know uh, Star Wars. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. For me, it's probably all seasons of The Simpsons in one place. Yeah, that's pretty good too. Um, although they need to fix the aspect ratio. They're working on it, I'm told. <laughs> well, we uh, uh, as for our aspect ratio, um, I think we're we're hitting the nail on the head. So we'll uh, we'll we'll end our conversation. Um, on this topic uh, for this time, but but uh, uh, God willing, maybe we'll come back to it uh, and uh, and revisit uh, the conversation um, as uh, as the streaming wars heat up and and unfold in in the coming months and years. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if if you like our conversations, if you like this podcast, please do uh, subscribe. Encourage others to subscribe and give us a rating uh, on uh, whatever podcast server you're uh, listening on. Uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts or, or, or Stitcher or uh, Spotify. Um, we, uh, it, it helps us out a lot uh, and enables us uh, to um, attract more people to, to join in on the conversation. All right. For now, take care, everyone. <laughs>